You're listening to the Irish Times. This is the Irish Times Books Podcast with me, Martin Doyle. On this podcast, Laura Slattery interviews children's author Shane Hegarty, a former colleague of ours, about what it means to write for children, with their surprisingly strong taste for peril, even horror, and how his own kid's brutal honesty helps him to create his books. Shane's books for children include the Darkmouth series, which has been praised by critics for its fast-paced action, wit and sophistication. It has also been optioned by Hollywood and it is currently in development. His new book, Boot, is aimed at slightly younger readers and tells the story of a young robot trying to find its owner. Boot's story begins when it, the robot has no gender, wakes up in a scrapyard. Here's Shane reading from the book. I woke up with only two and a half memories. Something was very wrong. I should have remembered so much more. My head is built to hold millions of memories and I also have extra space in my left butt cheek in case of emergencies. The first memory is 15 seconds long. A young girl pulls wrapping paper away from my face. She shrieks happily and her eyes twinkle brightly. The girl has dark hair tied up in a bun and a smile so wide it almost reaches her ears. Dangling from the girl's neck is a butterfly pendant with 16 tiny green, red, yellow and blue jewels dazzling in its wings. This girl is the very first person I remember seeing. A toy robot, thank you, Grandma! The girl screams in delight. Behind her is a smiling woman with white hair standing beside balloons that read, Happy 7th birthday! She must be Grandma. I thought, what better present for my cute, cuddly Beth than a cute, cuddly robot, says Grandma. That's how I know the girl's name is Beth. Thank you, 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 says Beth. I see my reflection in a mirror. I'm a little shorter than Beth. My body is silver green and shaped like a light bulb, with my belly round and tough, yet still soft to touch or hug. I waggle the four chunky fingers on my hands. I do not waggle my toes, because I don't have toes, just egg-shaped legs. Oh, look at its face, says Beth. I love it. My head is a wide oval, with a smooth screen curving along the front of it. On the screen, tiny dots of colourful light flow together and make a cartoon human face. When I imagine myself smiling, bright blue eyes and a warm orange smile appear on the screen. Beth and her grandma laugh and laugh and laugh and that memory ends. The second memory is shorter than the first, only seven seconds long. Beth is in this one too, but she's quite a bit taller than me now and her hair a little longer. Again, she wears the butterfly pendant, but this time one of the jewels has been lost from a wing. It means this memory must take place later than the first. She is giggling at me because, for some reason, I'm wearing a flower pot as a hat, with the flowers still in it. I also have a multicoloured hula hoop around my waist and a purple dog-shaped balloon rising from a string tied to one of my fingers. Beth is laughing so hard I wonder if she will burst. Thankfully, Beth doesn't burst. She just keeps laughing until this memory ends. Then there is the last memory, the half memory. This one doesn't work properly. It's glitchy and jumpy and lasts just 5.824 seconds. Beth is much taller than before. Her face looks older. A lot of time must have passed since the memory where I had a flower pot as a hat. She's not laughing. But she still wears the butterfly pendant around her neck. I can see it poking out from the collar of her grey, heavy coat. We are outside on a street. There's a large sign on the wall behind Beth, an orange circle with a white sideways triangle inside it. I can hear water rushing loudly somewhere nearby. Glitch, jump. 
Beth bends down to me. Tears are pooling. Glitz, jump. Beth bends down to me. Tears are pooling in her eyes. Glitz, jump. Weak daylight glints off the butterfly pendant. There are three tiny hollows where the jewels have fallen out. Only 13 left. Jump. Beth says one word. Love. The memory freezes. And I remember nothing else. Maybe I was switched off. Maybe I had stopped working properly. I don't know how long I was like this for. All I know is that when I turned back on again, I said one word. Boot. And I found myself rolling and tumbling in a great wave of rubbish towards the smashing jaws of a massive, metal-munching, grinding machine. Welcome, Shane. Hi, Laura. How are you? So, Boot has the subtitle, uh, Small Robot, Big Adventure. What inspired you to write it? Um, what inspired me to write it? I, I, I suppose Boot, Boot is the story of this toy robot that wakes up in a grinder, or about to be fed into a grinder. Not ideal. Not ideal, not a great start to the day. And uh, with only kind of two and a half memories sets off to find its owner. And it's, it, Boot is a sort of a sort of surrogate for my own kids. I think it's probably the best way. So I have, um, I've got four kids, but three of them are quite young. Uh, when I was writing this, it would have been uh, seven and then five-year-old twins. Actually, probably even younger when I started writing it. And Boot is, so it's got all this kind of knockabout adventure and fun and jokes and action and lots of other kind of characters, both human and robot. But ultimately, it's about sort of growing up and realizing that the world isn't maybe as simple as you think. And I see that with my own kids. And I see lots of stuff about sort of how they view the world and how they maybe how the world then surprises them every now and again. But also the things that they remember and what they want to remember. And I think that's something that goes for all of us. So with all those kind of different things in there and then wrapped around as said in cliffhangers and jokes and action and all of that. And is is there... Is that the reason that robot characters particularly appeal to, to younger readers, do you think? Yeah, I th- well, I think the robot characters definitely, there's that strange mix when you're writing, certainly when you're writing a character like this and, and from, you know, we're so familiar, probably more with film really than we are with, with books, with fiction, um, uh, uh, literary, I was going to say literary fiction, I don't write literary fiction, with books. <laughs> uh, that um, Because when I was actually writing Boot. Somebody said to me at one stage, uh, somebody in the business said, no, kids don't want to read characters who aren't boys or girls. Right. That's very interesting you mentioned that because I really noticed that there's no gender here. But this is it. And it's not even, but funny, it wasn't even a, a gender issue. It's about, um, now the gender thing is is just, is a kind of a practical thing because the kid, because if you're a robot, yeah, you don't think of yourself as a him or a her. <laughs> and, and I've been asked about this a couple of times and it seems like it's maybe it's seen as timely and maybe it looks slightly calculated, but it's not genuinely isn't. It mm-hmm. was purely it's kind of an interesting challenge as a writer. And it's interesting, I think, for the reader to look at it and say, well, oh, there's no it's all it's it's not even it because sometimes it sounds very cold. So yeah. um, but um, it's as much even that there was no there's no human uh, that boot isn't a human. But yet you can put and I think this is what interesting about robot characters, you can put humanity into the, the robots, and yet at the same time, they have this this uh, viewpoint that stands aside from the rest of the world and from humans. So it gives you this great ability or great chance to write about how weird humans are and how strange and a lot of our habits might be to 
um, to to a non-human character? And at the same time, how do they deal with all these emotions, which is clearly a kind of a long-standing trope of fiction. And I would, you know, everything, obviously, data uh, in Star Trek and uh, and other kind of robot characters along the way, you have this um, kind of, you know, dealing with the emotions. Uh, that's You get to do all of that. And when you're writing for kids, all these new emotions tend to be sort of very important and interesting and fresh. And you can write about, write, as I said, Boot can kind of step in as a child in that case as they try and navigate the world. And uh, the strange behaviour of adult humans at times. Yeah. But Boot is convinced that his owner or his previous owner, Beth, loves him and, and didn't intend for them to be separated. But mm. then other characters maybe cast doubt on that. And he has to sort of confront the idea maybe that she didn't. But, yeah, you know, how do you... It's like the blurb says this book's, uh, you know, fun but emotive. And that whole subject, of course, it is really emotive. You know, how did you kind of set about doing that? Again, I think... Well, I suppose there were a couple of things. One was just the standard uh, or straightforward kind of slightly science fiction-y idea of what's going to happen in a few years' time when... Because I'm interested in AI and I'm interested in, um, you know, technology and, and... uh, I'm seeing little robot toys appearing in our house with our kids. And I thought, well, what's going to happen in a few years' time when we create, let, let's, for argument's sake, let's say we create toys and, you know, that or, or machines that know when they're being thrown away, mm-hmm. uh, when they're being rejected. And this is part of that kind of original idea. And then the other aspect in terms of the sort of separation is it was also to play with the idea of because while Boot is growing up, there's also Beth, who's an older character, and how she's growing up, and that idea of sort of disposability and what we throw away and, and how we think about the things that we throw away. Uh, and also, as I said, sort of playing with the idea of sometimes what we want to think about things and what we want to remember. So while Boot has these two and a half memories, they're very specific memories of Boot's time with Beth, um, but they can be read in different ways. And... Boot sees them in one way, but maybe the reality of those memories isn't necessarily uh, the same as as Boot sees them. And how do you kind of settle on the the tone of the book? Because I think it's you know it works really well. But how do you kind of how does that come to you? Does that take a lot of kind of early crafting? Um, it's it's a funny one. Yeah, it's look I I find with writing. So when I write a story, and I know I'm aware that that these I think a lot of adult readers don't understand often how sophisticated. Um, and enjoyable a lot of children's books are um, especially at this sort of age group so this this book might be sort of for sort of seven years and up and I was mm-hmm. with Darkmouth it would have been a little bit older maybe eight or nine and up and each time I, I write I always think I'm writing slightly older than I am but it's the publishers who will say actually you know you can, you can go this, you'd have younger readers for this and I'm seeing this now with my own kids that actually they read very sort of solid, interesting, sophisticated stories at a, at a at quite a young age. And stories with, the quite, you know, an element of, of peril involved. Oh, yeah, with yeah. peril and, and often more with horror in it. And again, I had some good advice from my Dartmouth editor early on, which is that kids kids can take gore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got three... <laughs> but they love it. <laughs> yeah, and I have three girls in my house, six-year-old twins and the eight-year-old, who are mad for a series of unfortunate events, which, and they're constantly telling me about people who have been killed in that or shot or whatever but <laughs> it's done in such a way and I think this is the thing so when you're writing when you talk about tone the great thing about writing children's books is you can write 
this mix of kind of really interesting thematic stuff that deals with, you know, kind of interesting uh, ideas and interesting characters and twists and turns. But you can do it in a way that allows you to have fun uh, writing a fast-paced um, uh, plot with lots of cliffhangers. And the great thing about kids writing, again, is that they allow you to throw a huge amount in. You can You can take stories in all sorts of different directions. You can be incredibly creative. You can be surreal. You can be ridiculous. You can be all these things. And for me, when I'm writing a story and Darkmouth has all those elements and Boot has all those elements, uh, you're, I'm indulging myself really at the very beginning. <laughs> so I'm writing a story straight up that I love and that I'm enjoying and that I want to know what happens next and that makes me laugh and that uh, when I read it back, I feel invested in the characters. And I've never been sort of shy of saying it that like my the most important book or the kind of the great greatest book I've ever read and the book that's had the biggest influence on me is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, which I think is very still remains very rare as an adult in inverted commas book, because I know a lot of young readers still read that book and, and love it now that has so many elements and wildness to it and ability to just disappear off and to take the narrative in so many different directions and yet always yeah. bring it back to this central character and this central humanity. At the, uh, and it has it has jokes, it has science fiction, it has fantasy, it has philosophy, it has But as a slightly uh, bewildered character at the centre for a group of mm. uh, misfits on a kind of a quest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. is, yeah, I uh, mean, it's it, this is a thing that we see repeated from time to time, uh, or all the time, yeah. and it's uh, sort of a kind of a core setup, really, isn't it, it is, for so much great fun. But I don't know if necessarily you get as much of that in, um, you get where you find it most is in children's writing. Mm. And when I'm in a library uh, or in a school, um, I'll often sort of show, we'll, we'll talk about what uh, how the shelves are, especially in a library. And I'll say, okay, to the kids, look at all those Look at where all the adult books are and you've got historical fiction there and you have romantic fiction here and you have science fiction and fantasy, which are separated over there and you have literary fiction and blah, blah, you know, all those different distinctions. And then you see the kids section and they're all in together. Yeah. There will be a distinction between age groups, roughly, but actually in terms of genre, they're all thrown in and you can buy a book. Uh, or you can pick up a kid's book, which will have every single one of those elements all thrown into the same story. So it gives you f tremendous freedom as a writer. Um, and the readers will give you enormous freedom to take you on all those in those various different directions. And they'll go with it and they don't question it unless it's not working. It so still you, has to work. You mean, you've described your kids as your own kind of brutally honest yeah. uh, focus group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How brutally honest are they? <laughs> They're great. I, with Boot, I literally sat so it, it was the first time I'd done this but I was because uh, I was because I knew it was slightly younger and I so once I was editing Boot and I knew um, I think once we'd agreed the publishing deal and I was in the editing phase of it I would sit uh, for the night uh, bedtime stories with my then seven year old daughter Quiva and I would literally sit with the computer on my <laughs> lap and I'd read her the chapter uh, and she would say, oh, I don't understand that. Or, you, you know, that didn't happen a bit. Or you forgot to mention that bit. Or, uh, or I really like that. Or I'd get so I'd get this um, immediate feedback. And I think there's an idea sometimes that kids are 
But sometimes you hear it, they go, oh, they're kind of like that, that their kind of honesty is sometimes mistaken as a kind of a, an unwitting cruelty or something on behalf of kids <laughs> that they're so honest. But it's not. It's just this brilliant, unfiltered thing. So, look, adults, as adults, we're awful for if you meet somebody and, and they've, they've created something or written a book or something and you'll often an adult... Uh, they'd say, oh, read your book. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. You know, you're going to get this. <laughs> well, kids will tell you exactly what bit of it they liked. Yeah. You'll know straight away if they're, you'll know straight away if a kid isn't interested in it. And I knew even with Boot and my uh, now 14 year old would have read, read it. And I know that if, if I, when I gave him Boot, it, if he wasn't interested, it didn't matter who I was, he wasn't going to read it. He would have got two or three chapters in and then gone off and, played Fortnite or whatever it might be. And so there's just that unfiltered thing that they either, if they don't like it, you know. They can't, they're not gonna, they can't lie their way out of it. They just won't keep reading it. Um, they'll, they'll ask you, why did you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Or they'll tell you, I love that bit. Uh, or they'll tell you that they've read it three or four or five times. And, they'll, uh, and that's really that, when I say brutal honesty, uh, it's a, it's a good, it's a good brutal honesty. And what was it like working with an illustrator on, on this book? So the illustration thing is interesting because people, again, there's so much about the industry and the business that I didn't understand before I came into it um, that I think a lot of readers don't really understand, both in terms of just how many people are involved in a book in the first place. I think the first time I ever uh, kind of wrote because I had a couple of history books out, one with Fintan O'Toole through here, through the Irish Times. Um, I had a very kind of vague idea that you wrote a book and then you gave it to somebody and then they put it on the shelves mm. and everybody was happy. And of course, it's not like that. There are a huge amount of people, especially when you're writing, um, uh, you know, a story like this, which is going through a major publisher like Hachette, um, where there are people involved in everything from the typesetting to, uh, you know, the cover design, um, to the coloration through, you know, there's just so many aspects. And the illustrator becomes a very important part of it. It's, I think when I was growing up and reading, you know, so I, I'm 45 now, so really the 80s were my sort of formative time uh, in terms of reading. You know, a lot of, you kind of went from picture books really to maybe sort of mildly like the Roald Dahl, Winnie the Pooh, which were big books for me when I was growing up, and then no pictures. Mm. And now you see so much more in the way of illustration. And so there's a very, there's a lot of back and forth between the after, first choice is who is going to illustrate and, and the publishers will help, will will sort of find the right illustrator. And then there's a huge amount of back and forth about not just what illustrations, but where do they go? How many of them are two pages? Where do you want to have the big dramatic moment? How much of the illustration takes the plate, take, it replaces parts of the story? Actually, you're using it to tell the story. And often, as happened with Boot, you don't meet the illustrator, especially mm. if you're living here, as I am, and the illustrator is in the UK. So I actually met Ben Mantle, who's the, the really brilliant illustrator of Boot. I met him for the first time in London two weeks ago. And thankfully, we hit it off. <laughs> and But everything is done. Illustrator, it, it's it, certainly in my case, it may be different where there's a collaboration, a very deliberate collaboration at the beginning. But often what happens is everything is done through the publisher. Everything is controlled through the publisher because everything has to be ultimately yeah. sort of the right and everybody has to be going in the right direction. 
So we must talk about what you've got coming up. So this is book one of mm. the Boots series and I understand there's two more. There are two more. So I have two out next year and I have one, I'm in the editing phase for the second book um, and then I will write the third sometime over the summer. Um, and it's it, it, so you tend to, I remember I was uh, meeting John Connolly, who obviously was formerly Irish Times, has gone on to great success as a as a writer. And John telling me about how, actually, I, actually, I don't even know it was when he was telling me directly, but uh, I know we wrote about this at one stage as well, that you tend to be working on about three books at the same time. So there's often um, the book you're promoting, it's just out, the book that you're editing and then the book you're starting. Yeah. And <laughs> there, uh, so I'm in that sort of phase at the moment. And it's uh, it's sort of interesting. Yeah, it's because... The great thing is when you start off writing a series, especially you start off with this sort of nothing and you have to hack away at this character to figure out exactly where the character is. And then and in the case of Boot, there's other characters as well. So Boot meets up with these other robot robot characters of all kind of living on the street and like Boot have become self-aware in a way that most other robots in this world haven't. So if we imagine this world as being what I've done is in a way replace mobile phones with robots. So each of the even each of the characters that are in there, there's a character, Noak, who's this mm. tough, rugged, <laughs> old fashioned can drop uh, and bounce around uh, robot. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and then there's one called Red, who uh, heats, is, is always in danger of heating up and exploding. Uh, so I'm kind of replacing really one thing with the other. And now I'm in that zone where I'm just you kind of you start to know the world a bit better, but then you have to grow your characters as well. So again, I think when when I was younger, and uh, I think one of the great things that's changed in in children's literature, certainly over the last 20 years, is that, uh, you know, when I was reading The Three Investigators of the Hardy Boys and whatever I was reading when I was young, something would happen in a book and then it would have no bearing whatsoever on anything that happened after that or any of the subsequent 30 other books yeah. that might be written in the series by a range of different writers. Now you you have to grow the character. You have to change. You have to develop. You have to constantly add. and, and um, Keep so a, a great, kind of a consistent uh, universe. Uh, in a consistent yeah. universe, but then you also have to kind of surprise and bring other elements mm. in and each book has to have its own texture. And um, So this is a slightly different experience with Boot in that these books are shorter, about a third of the length of the Darkmouth books. Mm. And with Darkmouth, um, over four novels so far uh, of about 70,000 words each, you know, they take on so much in terms of uh, character development and story and place. And it's, you know, each one of those involves a huge amount of of, of development and work and, and uh, you kind of narrative threads that can all get very loose. It's slightly, I'm not saying it's easier, but it's different with a sort of a shorter book in that you can keep things kind of, it can be effectively one story and one adventure. You do find with the other longer books it has to be several adventures sometimes that are all cohering into one or one that might look like you're going in one direction but in reality it's going in the other so um, so I'm enjoying that I'm just enjoying that kind of nice focus and speaking of, of Darkmouth uh, you said four books so far <laughs> yeah so I've written there were four and the, uh, there, there are four books on the shelves and I do have a fifth in my computer which I really like and I'm really pleased with uh, so we're just I'm sort of concentrating on boot at the moment and there's been I've kind of had the fascinating experience from 
a great distance away of watching the film, the kind of film version being in sort of pre-production. So over um, in an office in Warner Brothers in L.A., for the last uh, couple of years, there have been a really good team of animators putting together a Darkmouth film. So, you know, film is a whole other world and takes an <laughs> enormous amount of time. And animation is a whole other world again. So, yeah, so at the moment, just concentrating on Boot, enjoying that. Um, but I do, I do feel that I'd, uh, I still, as I said, I, I have a great connection with Darkmouth, which was obviously a big thing for me and characters which were big for me and which... Uh, I know we're big for a lot of readers. I still get a lot of, obviously, kind of uh, correspondence from all around the world about those books. So I'd love, uh, yeah, I don't feel I'm quite done there yet, hopefully. What's the best part about being a children's author? The best part? Well, I suppose there's kind of two things that stand out. One is that I get to go into a room on my own uh, for a few hours a day and just disappear into this world um, in my head. And it's a sort of ridiculous job, really. Is it more ridiculous than journalism? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's um, maybe it's not more ridiculous, but you get to do it on your own, and uh, you don't. Uh, there's less chance of being sued by a fictional character yeah. than there is by a real one. Um, journalism is really interesting. I mean, I do uh, I do miss aspects of the journalism. I was in the Irish Times here for kind of twelve years as a as a journalist and an editor, and. Um, and it's weird being back in the building even today because you see so many people that, that that I used to work with. And I do miss I do miss that thing of being able to turn around and talk to my colleagues and, you know, just ask them, <laughs> what do you think or what's going on? What do you, what do you think we should do next? Or uh, do you have any ideas or help me? I've got a big blank page here that I need to fill. <laughs> and I miss that part of it. Um, and uh, yeah, but I do, I do. Um, the one thing that journal or sorry, writing does turn you into somewhat of a, I mean, I used to deal with, you know, talk to a lot of freelancers as an editor in journalism, but it does turn you slightly mad because you're sort of sitting on your own all day. And um, it's weird when you have to talk to, especially when you're a children's writer, occasionally you have to talk to adults. And um, I've realized I've got quite bad at talking to a group of adults. Mm. because I've got so used to talking to groups of sort of 10, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds. And that's the second thing that's fantastic about children's writing. Some writers, I think, it's you know, it depends on your personality and you have to really enjoy it. But I'm lucky enough that there's a huge performance aspect to being a children's, children's writer. So what I'll do now for the next week is I'll go off to um, meet classes in Ireland. Um, I'll have a week of meeting different classes in the bookshops around Dublin. And then I'll go for a week to the UK where I'll maybe go to two, possibly three schools a day and talk to audiences there. And then I'll have festival events as well coming up. I'm doing the Dublin International Literature Festival on the 25th, Saturday 25th. And there is nothing like talking to, I've been lucky enough to talk to audiences as big as sort of 700 in Hay, uh, down to one. Mm. Uh, kid because there was a mix up uh, at a library event once and only one child turned up and <laughs> um, they are just a fantastic audience and they'll uh, again you, you it allows you to sort of lose some of the inhibitions that we tend to have as adults and you're less self-conscious about what you do on stage um, and the, the audience reaction is just phenomenal and fantastic and uh, and they ask brilliant questions and I do wonder how I, I, you know, sometimes it's one of these old things that you kind of hear, but I've nobody's ever really said it to me. But sometimes you hear children's writers saying, oh, "I wish people stop asking me when I'm going to write a, ch- a proper book," <laughs> and I've never, in fairness, had that. But 
I occasionally when I think would I write a book for adults, I, I don't really have that sort of yearning to do it. But also, I don't know how I do adult events because they're not really. Nobody's going to ask. Nobody's going to ask you. Do you have, yeah, just silly <laughs> questions about you know what your favorite football team is, or do you have a mustache, or um, tell you about various ridiculous things that have happened in their lives. So it's um, yeah. So that's that's a real that that's a real bonus of the whole thing that I hadn't anticipated. So on that um, surreal note, it just leaves uh, for me to say Boot, which is published by Hodder Children's Books. It's out now in Ireland, and it'll be out on May sixteenth, pretty much everywhere else. But thanks very much, Shane Hegarty. Thank you, Laura. That's all for this episode of the Irish Times Books Podcast. In our next episode, we will continue the theme of literature for the young, this time with a writer of young adult fiction and Ireland's Laureate Nanogue, Sarah Crossan. Thanks for listening and happy reading.